This is Bob Huang. Um, I am here today with Daniel Gochel and the recent uh, winner of the SCG New Jersey 10K, uh, Dave Kaplan. Uh, Anurag is a little bit busy today, but we are going to have a good show today with Dave. Uh, Dave, welcome. How are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, super excited to have you. Um, lots to talk about today. Uh, let me kind of get through our, our first section. Um, first, I'd like to thank our new patron, uh, Eternal Casual. Much thanks for your support. Thanks as well to our editor at Force of Phil. In terms of kind of updates, so obviously there was kind of the big event this weekend. Um, I played three events this weekend. So I played the 10K, I played the 5K, and I also uh, concurrent with the 5K. I, I was a little bit of a maniac. I double queued and I played online Legacy Showcase as well. So I definitely have some like strong thoughts there. I played uh, Naya Initiative and then overall the deck didn't really perform well for me, but it was doing a little bit better in testing. But I think, you know, some things have actually shifted in the metagame in the past couple weeks to make Initiative a little bit worse. So we'll definitely get into that. I also do kind of want to apologize that we've kind of been on hiatus for you know, since the holidays, more or less. Um, I know Daniel actually moved to Montreal. Um, is that right, Daniel? Yeah. Yeah. What's it like uh, in Montreal? Like you were in Toronto before, right? Yeah, it's pretty good. Still uh, just getting set up all the furniture. Luckily, nobody can see all the boxes here, but yeah, it's going well. Cool. Are you living by yourself with friends? Uh, just by myself right now. Nice. I feel like that's a big move. The first time that you're living by yourself without your parents. Yeah, should be interesting. Luckily, I speak French, so it'll be all right. That's true. I've heard in Montreal that like they're actually kind of bougie about it like they'll really try to speak french to you even though it's clear that like you probably don't know french at least that's what i've heard from some of my friends who are who have been tourists there yeah probably the more rural areas especially less in the city but yeah that sounds about right yeah have you been in up to anything other than i guess the big move you, have you been playing a good amount of legacy what other formats yeah i played the legacy showcase this weekend in the vintage showcase i was liking uh I've been playing Initiative and Vintage, but uh, still Delver and Legacy. Um, it was pretty short for me. I won. I won to drop the Legacy thing. I try. I wanted to try Sprite Dragon, so I cut my Furies for Sprite Dragons, and I immediately got paired against Elves and had Sprite Dragon in hand and was crying that it wasn't Fury. So that was my uh, Legacy showcase. Dave, you play Vintage too, right? I do. Okay, here's a question for you. Do you think the Vintage Initiative deck is better, or the Legacy Initiative deck is better relative to the format? That's a great question. I mean, of course, the Vintage deck is going to be more objectively powerful, but but at the same time, Vintage is a more powerful format. So I think Vintage can solve the White Initiative deck easier than Legacy can, if that makes sense. That definitely makes sense because, I mean, it's just like there are so many busted turn one plays in Vintage that White Plume Adventure, while still decently strong, it's just really kind of the, the lock pieces around White Plume Adventure just being able to have that like easier threat but at the same time like the the white plume card isn't really the, the the biggest problem necessarily so i can definitely see that okay cool let's let's start getting into some of the twitter questions um actually sorry before we even get into that dave do you mind uh sharing a little bit more about yourself like how you got into magic vintage legacy and like what that's kind of been like for you like how did you get to this point i guess yeah absolutely uh so i started playing when i was pretty young when Fallen Empire was released in like the third grade or something. And I, I was not all that good, uh, but I really enjoyed it. And uh, I played, got a little bit better, started playing junior tournaments. Uh, they had the Junior Super Series back then where you could win scholarship money. And it cut off at 15 though. I won a few of those events, got a few thousand dollars of scholarship money. And then I started playing against uh, adults who were significantly better. I got to high school and my, my interest in the you know, the game dwindled a bit. And I took like 11 years off and uh, I came back in 2014 and I started playing vintage at first. And uh, after a little while, I started playing Legacy 2. Yeah, I'm based in New York City here. Uh, Gamestoria is our, our local gaming store. And uh, yeah, it's a really great internal community that I'm very happy to be a part of. Yeah, I think I think your story I, I want to say is almost like the the typical like eternal player story where they like myself as well. I kind of started playing in elementary school. I dropped off a little bit during high school and college, but eventually kind of came back to the game. And then uh, I've been going like you know off and on ever since. Uh, probably a little bit more steady um, kind of in in recent years, but definitely <laughs> understand kind of taking a hiatus, but then kind of coming back to the game. And that's kind of the the great thing about it is it's always there. It's always growing. But yeah, let's get to some of the Twitter questions. Uh, this one's from at angry ant pile what's your favorite thing about the nyc eternal community yeah so i, I did actually publish an article within the last day or so uh just a quick tournament report and 
really it was just about the community. I, I had a couple notes about my deck choice and some matches, but really it was just a, a thank you to all the tournament organizers and content producers. You know, first of all is Roland Chang, uh, former vintage and former legacy world champion. Uh, I live uh, a few minutes away from Roland. You know, he, he just goes up to somebody who's been at their tournament for their first time the same way as an old pal and welcomes them and uh, lets them know about the next event. And if some guys are going to, you know, guys, girls, some people are going to, you know, a road trip to a bigger event, you know, welcomes them. So when I was younger and playing, it, it, you know, it was friendly, but, you know, it, it was a little cutthroat, believe it or not, for, for younger kids. Winning was everything. And I'm really glad that there's an amazing community here in New York City that's very competitive, but, you know, good vibes, welcoming, friends first. And, you know, you can go one and three or oh and four at a, a Monday Night Legacy at Game Storia. And, you know, James, uh, who runs the tournaments there, will hand you your your pity pack, everyone gets a pack no matter their finish, you know, you still have a good time. So it, it really is all about, you know, being part of the community. Yeah. And that that's also just definitely echo that sentiment 100%. That's why I just vastly kind of prefer playing paper events, like just getting to kind of see people, hang out with people, you know, get get the tournament dinner afterwards. It's, it's just such a good time. And and by the way, like, yeah, I, I echo everything you said about Roland. He's just really the nicest, most friendly guy. And while you were on your run, it was it was getting kind of pretty late. I want to say it was like maybe eight o'clock or so, or, or even later. And, you know, he and the rest of the guys were, were waiting for you to finish and rooting for you there when you hoisted up the trophy. So that was just really awesome to see. 100%. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Let's get into a little bit more about the tournament. Um, some other Twitter questions relating to that. At David H. Kaplan, that's your Twitter, by the way, uh, David underscore H underscore Kaplan, beat uh, initiative five rounds in a row. What does he consider the best strategy for Blue or Delver in the matchup? And this is from at Gizlo MTG. Yeah, it was kind of wild. Um, I really consider initiative to be pretty close to a 50-50 matchup. And for me to get paired against it five rounds in a row, to start the tournament rounds one through five, you know, was quite quite a undertaking. Uh, I got pretty fortunate that some things went my way and I beat all of them. So I think the best way to beat initiative, and I put this at the end of the article, is just to delver them. Uh, it's helpful to have some, you know, key silver bullets like Gary or one of the pro-white creatures, but just the combination of threat plus disruption and that constant pressure of tacking with channelers, with delvers. You know, I played a second Brazen Borrower. I think that helped a lot. I think Wasteland, I heard people saying Wasteland's not that good. Uh, I, I definitely am on the other side of that argument. I love Wasteland. I think that it's very good. So just having that old school land Delver, Days, Waste, look at the board, I'm ahead. It's your it's your job now to catch up to me. That's what I love about this deck. And I think that that is the same for initiative. You just have to clear their threat. But now you're taking the initiative and it's very hard for them to come back from that if you have taken the initiative and you're putting pressure on them and they have no creature in play. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's that's the key part um, of, of basically kind of just getting ahead on board and then usually you can win the race. I did watch a little bit of some of your matches against initiative and i did notice you were kind of using your wastelands pretty aggressively and you know prioritizing that perhaps over like maybe you will take some damage early to like keep them off some saw lands to, to continue casting their threats or or perhaps maybe you wait to turn on deploying your threat like how did how do you really like kind of think about that tension like are you like wastelanding top priority or or like how do you think about that yeah it's a good question i think that taps into you know just delver overall as an archetype is there's so many medium to large decisions in the first two turns that really set the pace for how the game is going to go. And then after that, there's so many small to medium decisions that just shape each turn. So I do think that life is a resource. And once I got more comfortable winning the game at one life and not feeling very fragile, but just seeing it as a calculated way to manage the game is to take damage to advance my own game plan. I got a lot more comfortable going into more aggressive races or taking damage a little early so that I could get a better board position. And I think players are starting to acknowledge that. Maybe I was a little behind and I caught up, but something like Snuff Out is so powerful because 
paying the for life really isn't that much of a detriment. So when it comes to Wasteland, I want to play a turn one threat, but if I see an opportunity to waste, uh, I'll definitely consider that too. So if my opponent goes like, you know, Ancient Tomb Chalice, and I have, say, a Wasteland and a Brazen Borrower, so I can bounce it, I'm just going to waste it right away and slow them down, and I'll, I'll catch up later with the Petty Theft on the Chalice. But there's definitely a percentage of games where your opponent's mana just falls underneath them. I like to capitalize on that. I'm a little aggressive with that. That makes sense. And actually, you, you mentioned Snuff Out. This was kind of one of the other Twitter questions. Um, this is from at Darth Dog. What do you think of the Snuff Out tech? So this is from Juju Bean, who actually split the finals of the Legacy Showcase. I, I, put, I posted the list in the chat, but basically... They were running four snuff outs and only two lightning bolts main, along with uh, one underground C. To me, I, I thought that was a little bit dicey just playing the one underground C and four removal spells because, I mean, you're going to need that removal for the mirror. Um, but obviously, the upside is huge because you can you know, take down Merktide Regent for no mana. But I just thought like playing only one underground C might have been a little bit too risky for me. I, maybe I would play two. But curious if you guys have any thoughts on on this perhaps new iteration of blue red delver splashing snuff out. Yeah, I think that I think one of the questions was, do you think it's like better or not against white, or does it make a difference? Oh, I think it's definitely better against white. I just I'm a little bit hesitant in the mirror. I think it could be better. Well, I would first talk about the white because when I first saw it, I was like. Oh, I wonder how good it is against white. Like, sure, it's kind of good to kill their guys for zero mana, but how good is it really? But then when I thought about it more, it seemed really, really good, the fact that it's zero mana, because here's the thing when you play against white, um, your mana is so constrained on, like, the first turn or two if they have a really aggressive start. So, like, let's say, for example, your opponent goes turn one white plume adventurer and passes to you, and you have a hand, and you have, like, um... A creature in it and you have a bolt in it so if you choose to play your creature to take back the initiative then they're going to put two counters on their guy so you can't bolt it anymore if you pl if you bolt their creature then they got to keep the initiative for longer and you don't get to you know play a creature to steal it so it's a pretty awkward tension and also that's not even mentioning if you have a ponder to cast or something so the fact that snuff out zero mana it could be a really 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 big deal because when you're fighting over the initiative it's so quick paced and aggressive you're really just trying to get the initiative back but also you're trying to you know the 5-5 five five can be problematic to deal with i think that that seems like really really big yeah for the mirror it's kind of inter uh, interesting but also one thing uh worth noting there's many things about the mirror is uh people started to get trimming usually a few months ago everyone had like most people had like two pyroblast main and recently since white's been getting so popular people you know myself i haven't been putting pyroblast main so it gets um trickier to deal with uh, murktide of course you know borrower for example that, that's what a lot of people play it helps a little bit but it's, it's pretty nice that since a lot of people cut their pyroblasts you can snuff out murktide it's also somewhat nice because with wasteland it's it might not be as bad as you think because when you fetch the c that's when you cast your snuff outs so they would have to like wasteland your c and then you draw a snuff out later and one can always consider playing a second black land at some point yeah i definitely echo you know what you're saying about the the tempo and i think another aspect of the card is it kills seasoned dungeoneer like when i was playing the initiative side it was usually like oh i'm playing a turn two dungeoneer with cavern and it's really hard for delver to race that and it's and they, they usually can't kill it so obviously snuff out changes that equation but then the other the other thing that I did notice a shift was, you know, Delver pretty much always has either Pyrokinesis or Fury in the board now. So they have more ways of kind of dealing with that card, even if they don't have the Black Splash. So I definitely think that was like an adjustment. And I, I think in the early weeks when, you know, Mono White was just kind of on a rampage, it was definitely in the MCGO data. I thought, I think it was definitely beating Blue Red Delver. But now in the more recent weeks, I think Blue Red Delver has kind of taken the initiative in the matchup and is slightly ahead given the adjustments and i don't know like i can't really think of a good way for white initiative to like adjust to snuff out other than like playing the black initiative creatures and, and changing your deck completely but so far I, I think the advantage is kind of in delver's court now and that's oftentimes what we end up seeing is you know a new deck might come like you know moon stompy or eight cast and it, it's beating delver at a good clip well delver makes a few changes and then it's kind of on top again and, and i think this is kind of just uh <laughs> basically one of the reasons why delver uh is and will remain like the best deck but there's there's kind of a lot of other things going on too like one thing i i noticed and um i made a tweet about it, it was basically blue red delver plus white initiative 
uh, deck variants are making up almost 50% of kind of the winner's metagame. And they're basically, you know, close to like 40% of the of the base metagame. So um, these are kind of two decks that are almost covering each other's weaknesses, I think. Blue or Delver is generally pretty good against spell-based combo. And so then the, and then the white initiative decks are also, they're not necessarily weak to spell-based combo, but they can like cut a lot of the, the combo hate to kind of just focus on the fair matchups. And so what I've noticed is basically the legacy metagame has changed into just like these two decks, plus a bunch of like creature combo decks, which white initiative you know, has a little bit more trouble against because they're attacking the deck on, on a couple different angles, but it definitely seems like the metagame has condensed a lot. And I don't think there's, I can't remember a single time when it was like the top two decks were like 50% of the of the winner's metagame. So uh, it's definitely, I think we're definitely at like high red alert status and I expect kind of a ban in the coming, I'll say months instead of weeks, but I think it's kind of like a foregone conclusion. I don't really see any way that we kind of get out of this without um, some sort of action do you guys agree with that i do well do you think action against i don't know if you said it there action against delver 2 if white's becoming the you know really popular it's like you said like uh two decks have so much share but delver is actually almost you know it's pretty close keeping up with white or maybe even favored against white you think they're going to come against uh comfort delver um i think both decks definitely need a ban uh the part i, I forgot to mention was I, I do think white is generally good against control as well and that was one of the holes in i, I know we argue about this on every podcast it seems like but in general i think um, like the Uro control matchups are a bit of the tougher matchups for Delver. And so um, White is good against those matchups. So it's pushing those decks down somewhat. So basically the, these decks are kind of covering for each other and pushing out a lot of the metagame. Um, and so, yeah, I do agree that both Delver and uh, White need a ban. Personally, I would hit probably White Plume Adventure and Expressive Iteration just to start. Um, although there's definitely many more cards in the Delver deck that could be banned that you know, might even be a bigger impact than expressive iteration. But the reason I would I would ban iteration is because I feel like it's also kind of taken over the blue control decks to make them basically blue red. You know, splash other colors like you know I've seen Grixis, I've seen Jeskai, and then obviously the four color Uro decks. Um, I just think expressive iteration plus Mystic Sanctuary is just too good of a card advantage engine that all the blue decks are taking advantage of it, and it's just kind of homogenizing all the blue decks in the format is kind of uninteresting to me. So even though I think you know there are potentially replacements for expressive iteration like predict i think it's worse enough that i think like something like a predict mystic sanctuary engine is a lot more awkward and requires a, a lot more setup as well as like just the fact that iteration you know has the selection makes it stronger than predict in my opinion i think there are other cards you could ban that would actually be a bigger nerf to delver the big one i'm actually thinking about is probably dragon's rage channeler because i actually think that card is the least replaceable card because you only have eight one drops and it's the better one drop than Delver. Whereas if you ban Merc Tide, yeah, there's some other options that are going to be a little bit worse. If you ban Iteration, maybe you could pivot to Predict. Maybe you could do some other things, but there's no real replacement for like a one drop. Um, so I think if you really wanted to nerf Delver itself, maybe you would go after DRC, but kind of curious like if you guys had a you guys were told oh, hey we need to ban something from delver to or, or we need to, yeah just to ban something in in these blue red shells like what would you guys go for yeah i mean for me i i do think that it would be expressive iteration and white plume adventure i also would say that dragon's rage channeler is the most powerful card in this deck that's not force of will or brainstorm uh, i think that was one of the other questions and um yeah it, it, it would hurt the power level of this deck significantly it would probably push it into a third color or just shift it into like a monster swift spear type of beatdown deck so I, I tried that card recently and it, it is not no it's terrible it's not good no uh, yeah i tried it in um it was like I, I think heritage and so that was like you know a little bit powered down from here but it was just it's not nearly as good as i i remember it being and i guess that was maybe because there was taxing probe and treasure cruise to really fuel it but i think it just you don't have enough of like the free spells or, or card advantage um, to make it like, you know, consistently three power every single turn, which is what it needs to be to be a legacy power level card. So yeah, I definitely agree with you. And and I, I agree too that I think if DRC were banned, Delver would probably go back to flashing black for probably Gurmag Angler and yeah, some other options. I guess maybe green has some one drops as well. It, it definitely would change the deck significantly. Quick, uh, if you go back in time a little bit with Delver, if you remember after Deathrite Shaman was banned, Delver actually wasn't really that popular dominant legacy for that time period after, before Dreadhorde Arcanist and after Deathrite Shaman. There was a lot of, uh, it wasn't that dominant, but then as soon when Dreadhorde got printed, 
There was a series of threats from Delver that made it popular for a while. They started with Arcanist, which ended up getting banned. But then I think Luris was out. And then there was like Oko stuff was out. And then like Ragavan. I guess that was Modern Horizons 2. Yeah, my basic point about Delver is, yeah, it's true. Like if you take away a card like DRC, historically Delver is, I mean, it's it's been dominant like 90% plus of the time. But there was that interesting period of time where, where it wasn't. I, w I think iteration's reasonable. I think one tricky thing is that uh, when you're doing bans, it's hard to balance. There's a balance between like power creep and cards you want to ban kind of. Because like as they print new cards, they're, they're more powerful than old ones. And it's kind of hard to like total line of what's too far and what's just like natural power creep of the years. Because one joke people say is they'll like talk about, they're like so many cards need to be banned 10 plus. But cards are just more powerful now but I, I would say that there's some there's some like uh, kind of tools you can use to tell if a card is bannable like I think Mystic Sanctuary and Uro even though Uro doesn't really see that much play I think those are card, kind of cards you can say are, are are more on the bannable side because I think they kind of they're not that interesting they're like very repetitive and they're very like they dominate the game in a way that's pretty hard to interact with and they're very repetitive yeah I guess I just said that <laughs> So <laughs> Sanctuary is actually banned in Modern. I was surprised it wasn't banned in Legacy. It's also not dominant in a way, but it's just the kind of way that it like homogenizes the format or it's just like it's a payoff to like the blue decks when that, that's already the most dominant deck. I guess that wasn't the question for Delver, but I think Uro is a card that could go, but I guess uh, that's that's for another time. From Delver, yeah, I think iteration's reasonable. That, that's the thing that's interesting. So many of the cards like Murktide and DRC are so pushed. And so, yeah, the, the thing with iteration is I don't know if that's just like a normal power level of card these days or if it's too much, but I, I think that's a reasonable ban. I think the deck would, would probably would be considerably, uh, you know, more reasonable, you know, without that card. I think that's reasonable. And, and yeah, White Plume or... I don't know the dungeon cards. They seem a bit pushed. I think I think white plume causes a lot of problems for a lot of like fair non blue deck lands in particular. Just really struggles just because of how quickly the deck kills and you don't really have much kind of recourse against it. Like the white deck plays enough basics to you know pay for like tabernacle wasteland. Um and plus you can you know win through like something like glacial chasm with the with the trap room. So I think it just too much speed and the four drops are still pretty powerful and so i think the deck will probably still stick around in some form but the three drop is just a little bit too much but yeah kind of going back to what you're saying so so mystic sanctuary is banned in modern and popper for a lot of what you said like the repetitive play patterns and difficult to interact with but it's also worth noting expressive iteration is banned in pioneer so it's not like a, it's a card that is i, I don't even i'm not really sure what you were kind of like saying like what if a card's bannable or not bannable i think it's just like you know it's up to wizards to just decide what is the best card to choose to have kind of the the most positive and, and fewest negative consequences it's hard to determine over time what's too powerful because cards are getting more powerful so like a card like drc or murktide are, are very powerful and delver might be very dominant so it's kind of hard to be like are these cards problematic or or which is you know where do we draw the line on some of these cards and I think the sanctuary thing, yeah, it's just it's just kind of weird. Like it's it's just weird that your fetch lands become vampiric tutors. I mean, I don't know if it's too powerful, but I just I find it odd that you can just like in the mid game just fetch land and get back any spell from the graveyard. It just seems weird to me. Like too too <laughs> too weird. Yeah, it definitely is is a little bit too much. Let's hit some of the the last couple Twitter questions. So. Uh, what do you guys think about the Death Shadow list we are seeing more of? And so let me let me send a link. But basically, I think they're talking about the the recent Shadow list that have um kind of like Baleful Strix, but then uh, they also have four Reanimate in the main. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen kind of this kind of list. And it, sometimes they play yeah, sometimes they play Grief as well. So I don't know. I'm curious if you guys have any um have you played against it or or tried it yourself? Yeah, I, I've seen that list. I was surprised it doesn't I don't think it plays Street Wraith if I remember right, which was kind of surprising given that it plays so many reanimates. Yeah, I kinda of remember like a one or two of reanimate in uh Death Shadow when it played the four Street Wraith as just kind of like a neat trick. You know, it could just recur Death Shadow or it could steal one of your opponent's creatures that you thought sees. But in this version, not having Street Wraith and playing four Reanimate seems like a lot. So I don't know if that's necessarily for me, but I don't know if I would put that list together myself. Yeah, so it looks like some people have Street Wraith and some people have Grief. Uh, I guess Grief is a little bit higher upside if you can go, you know, turn one Grief reanimate. That's a pretty powerful start. The other thing I like about Shadow is it's kind of the best snuff out deck it's not even the cost isn't even like a cost some of the time like you literally want to be losing life um so i think that part is interesting and plus if delver starts moving to play snuff out of itself like a lot of the creatures in shadow don't get hit by snuff out so i think that's also really 
interesting to me. So I think there might be some potential there. But yeah, I don't know if I would cut Street Wraith either because it's also kind of a, a free spell of sorts. But Bob, you told us that they have to ban Iteration and DRC and you want to cut them from the deck. Well, my, my first impression when I saw this deck is I always have like a gut instinct or a bias against Shadow. I have like a... To, to not want to play it but it definitely has some powerful things going on and Strix seems Strix and Ice Fang seem really well positioned in the meta because like you said there's so much Delver and White and definitely the card Baleful Strix is pretty good against both those decks but but yeah not playing not playing Iteration or Pyroblast or, or DRC is definitely a bit of a cost and it does seem a bit intense at times against the deck they play like Solitude and Swords to Plowshares so you know playing Death Shadow against those cards you know imagine <laughs> if you have a Murktide and a Shadow and they like plow your Murktide and it kills your Shadow and I was a bit I was a bit confused by by the grab going for Shadow and like plow is really popular I would say the deck looks a bit volatile like like more more of more on the on the spectrum more on the combo side was like the you know ability to go like Thoughtseize your god uh, like um, Thoughtseize your adventure or dungeon creature and then and then reanimate it but then sometimes you, you know the the reanimates or the thought seasons might not be as good so it's a bit more like a synergy based yeah that's what i've heard as well from some people who tried the deck is like some of the draws are insane and sometimes you just you know drawing cards that you can barely cast like grief uh is not the best if you're if you're hard casting it but reanimate itself like that card is like pretty good against initiative and against delver as well so they're definitely kind of cards that are interesting but yeah i guess from an overall power level perspective it's definitely not going to be the same as as blue red because it doesn't have drc or or ei so that's a, that's a definitely a fair point is reanimate that good against delver it does the in this deck like reanimating strix is pretty good i think just the fact that it's like a one mana threat is pretty powerful against delver um i've lost to it when they reanimated my murktide region and i just i, I didn't have enough damage to finish them out but I think it's a it's a it's a reasonable card against blue red. I find when I play Delver, it's always hard to play against Shadow. I played against it last week and I lost, and uh, it's definitely playing in Shadow is always pretty difficult. It's always close. Um, the one card I've always found to be like insane against them is True Name because they can't really manage the race the race very well against that card. Personally, I, I think I'm I'm usually playing True Names over the Berserker just because I think it's harder to deal with. Like I've tried Berserker and it's just like. They so often have Walking Ballista or a, a Ganjo, and I'm just like, well, if I tried so hard to play this creature, like I could just have a true name instead, and then it's applicable in more matchups, and I think it's still good against white. I'll mention one thing about the pro-white creatures. Um, I tried them, and I had I didn't have great experiences, because one thing I found was that if they played, if they, for example, played a dungeon creature, like a white plume, and then they passed to me, and I played Berserker, it was actually pretty slow, because they would be able to untap, you know, go in a room in the dungeon, play another creature out, pass back to me. And then if I attack, I get to attack at a basic land, but then they get to crack back for like eight damage if they, you know, put the counters on and then played another creature. So I was like losing the race with it. I felt it was pretty slow, basically. Yeah, like the key is you have to be countering and killing their creatures still. Um, luckily, you know, they don't have manipulation, so usually they're only playing like two or three a game. But but one, well, one creature I would say is, I don't know if it's good. I, I hurt myself playing it last weekend. But I think uh, Sprite Dragon might be pretty good because the fact that it's haste means you instantly steal back the initiative. So it's going to grow really fast. And uh, I think it can race a bit better. Obviously, they can, you know, plow it. It's not pro-white. But basically, I think the fact that it instantly steals back could be interesting. So I tried it last weekend. And, and I would say one thing about Fury. I, I don't think people play Fury and Delver necessarily as an initiative hate card. I think the reason, when I first saw Fury, the reason I decided to try and add it was it was kind of like Rough Tumble, the kind of board wipe slot, electricery, but um, maybe a, a 2022 version of it. So I was like, yeah, maybe I'll try cutting, you know, my Rough Tumbles or whatever and try Fury instead. I, I found that what, when I've played against Initiative, it hasn't been super impressive to me. It's kind of hard to tell because like if you cast it for five mana, which can come up, especially because you steal their basic land, then, you know, it could be really good in, in a situation like that. You know, if they randomly have like an X1 and you get two guys, it, it can be really good. But I would say it hasn't, when I have it in my hand, it hasn't felt too insane. Like I, I felt, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What, Dave, what do you, what do you think about Fury? Do you, have you like hard cast it or has it mostly been a pitch spell? I mean, I'll echo exactly what, what you just said. I found the pro-white creatures to be underwhelming. Um, I felt like every time I had a Blood Knight or Unchained Berserker, they always had a Walking Ballista. And I actually started with Sprite Dragon before I even tried the pro-white creatures. And it did pretty well, but I mean, it gets solituded and swords. So, you know, I figured I'd, I'd try the pro-white creatures and 
I actually think Sprite Dragon might be the best amongst all of them. Uh, also, it has a legitimate upside against, you know, like a control matchup uh, or any other type of slower deck that you can, you know, establish it with. And with Fury, uh, it's extremely rare that you hit like a White Plume Adventure and an Elite Spellbinder at the same time. It's usually more just get rid of one of their threats for free. And I think that's enough, especially because it's it can hit Dungeoneer at four toughness. So yeah, I, I would agree that, that that's usually what it does is um, against initiative, it takes out a, a three or four toughness threat for free. And yeah, against like elves or death and taxes or any other deck with small creatures, it, it fits that and the festivities rough tumble slot. Yeah, Daniel also alluded to this being the the 2022 AS 2023 version because it's it's free and legacy the format has just sped up so much more uh since the release of initiative since these decks are just killing you so quickly you just need to be able to do things <laughs> at no mana sometimes and it, it, you know daniel talked about the tension earlier so yeah that makes a ton of sense to me okay the last thing so so i think you mentioned kind of in the winners interview and in one of your i can't remember if it was the finals game or the top four game where you mentioned that you basically you know gave back the play when you dazed back you were you're were on the play your opponent went turn one um drc and then you dazed to kind of give them back the play but you mentioned that it was just like so important to do so i assume you probably did so because you know you probably didn't have immediate removal in your hand and you're just kind of really scared of that card in the mirror or or can you elaborate a little bit more because i was curious as to your your thought process there yeah so it was in the semifinals against the grixis delver deck generally i'm using my days in the mirror it's rare usually when you play against a you know an opponent in later rounds that they're going to jam an expressive iteration or a merc tied into a daze but sometimes the spot just comes up and you just have the days and it, it it does its job of countering something that costs more than one but usually it'll hit like a pyroblast which would be really important or it'll just be very situational where, you know, they lightning bolt your creature and, you know, they're not presenting a threat and you are, so it's time to use your days. You know, situationally, it makes sense then. Usually, turn two, there's nothing they could cast that you'd want to daze, but I happen to have a very cantrip heavy hand and I, I did not have any other lands to play. So that is the key is that I was going to miss my land drop anyway, and my days might become worthless in a couple turns if um, I'm already stuck behind and they have a threat. I knew what I was doing was to pick up my land on turn two in the mirror and basically give them the playback by advancing them a half turn ahead. And... The rationale is that I already was going to be doing that by missing my next land drop, most likely anyway, because I didn't have any more lands in my hand. I felt like that was going to be the best use is to maintain an even board with no threats on either side. Uh, also, it wasn't even a Delver, right? The Delver just deals damage. It was a Dragon's Rage Channeler, which gives an insane amount of card selection in the mirror match. I felt like I was saving myself on life points and also their card selection. After having played so many dozens or hundreds or however many Delver mirrors, it just felt right. I, and, you know, I thought about it for a little bit and it made sense and I did it and it worked. But even if it didn't work and I lost the game, I would still defend the play that with the amount of information I had, it w it made the most sense. Got it. Yeah, I, I didn't realize you didn't have a second land drop. Like I saw some cantrips, but obviously you know, those can whiff. Yeah, when you don't have the second land drop, it just definitely makes a lot more sense um, to make that play. Usually days is a card I'm trying to hold until um, at least turn two, so as not to basically, you know, I think of it as almost setting me back a Lotus Petal every turn, the, the earlier you daze. So it can usually be bad to daze on turn one, but when you, you know, laid out kind of all the options that you did and, and reasoning, it, it, it totally makes sense to me. It always depends on the context of, of the thing, but yeah, usually the most punishing time today's on turn one is like when you at your hand you have a bunch of you have a few lands in hand and maybe you have an iteration you want to get to casting to but you know, if you only have one land then it's uh it makes it a lot less uh punishing in that way so it really always depends on the context well yeah dave do you have any kind of other highlights or things you wanted to share uh, about your tournament or should we talk about some spoilers yeah i mean I'll, I'll just say one thing that you had told me you know i 
I appreciate that you put out, you know, the Delver guide a little while ago and, and you've updated it frequently with more content. You know, one thing in reading that, it's not the easiest to win a large event. So many things have to go right. And, you know, I've been playing for a bunch of years now and, you know, I've had some pretty high finishes, but a 169 person event, you know, was taking it down was my, my biggest finish. You know, you had simply said when I was reaching out for some advice, just keep playing in big events. I can't even tell you how many six and twos I had at eight round events. So many. Yeah, to just keep putting in the time. Some of the best players in the world have a 62% lifetime win rate. You know, you'd think, oh, they have, they must win like every game, but they lose a lot too. So uh, just continuing and just evolving as a player and just showing up and just putting in the reps, time smooths things out. Yeah, 100% agree with that. It's sometimes, it, you know, this is a game with variance and there will definitely be some days that you, you know, run really hot and then there'll be other weekends where, you know, like nothing really adds up for you. And that, that's, that was kind of my weekend experience was, I went like I think X3 in every single event that I played um, with initiative and it was like a lot of spots that I was winning and testing. Um, I just wasn't winning um, at the actual events. So um, sometimes that just happens, you know, I was mulliganing a lot more. And so sometimes it just doesn't come together. But I think, yeah, the other part of it was, like I said, uh, I think more people were playing actual removal for seasoned engineer. So I was getting, you know, fewer free wins against Delver with that specific card. Um, so I didn't necessarily adjust this weekend. Um, but going forward, honestly, I might be back on the Delver uh, train just because I'm struggling to think about a, a good way for the initiative deck to kind of um, fight back and, and gain the edge in that matchup again. So winning in magic, it's kind of interesting because it's actually a very uh, it's a game that has a lot of that produces a lot of people who aren't winning, because if you go to an event, the amount of the percentage of people who top eight is very low. Especially even sometimes a lot of events might have 500 or 1,000 people. If you actually just think the percent of participants who top 8 is very low. And the funny thing is sometimes people could top 8 and still feel bad, which might sound weird. But imagine if you top 8 and then you lose in the quarterfinals. Sometimes you might think something like, man, I can't believe it. It was I got to the top 8, it was like so many people, and then I just lost right away. So I think Magic is a game that like a 100 or a 1,000 people could go in a room and only one person wins. So it's just, it's a game you lose a lot. And the other part about it is, is some games are like that, but they might be low variance. So like if you go to a chess tournament, the, you know, the best player wins. But since Magic has some variance in it, it's like a game where very few people win and it's high variance. So it's like a, at a unique crossroads where you have to understand it's like, you're almost always going to lose <laughs> when you go to a tournament. And it's also a game with variance. So I, I feel like, I don't know if it's underrated or overrated, but I feel like it's, it can be dangerous to want to win too much in Magic just because on a percentage term, so few people win and, and the variance edition. Yeah, I think you definitely need to find other joys outside of just, you know, wanting to win the event. Um, I think also, you know, you have one under your belt now, Dave, so you, you can feel really good about that. Um, but for me too, it's like, you know, I, you already mentioned, like, I always go for other reasons, like for the community, see my friends. Um, honestly, just to, to learn more and, and enjoy the game. Like, I just love the game itself. It's always such a puzzle to, like, figure things out on the fly, seeing new things, um, adapting, thinking about it, you know, even outside of the tournament. Like, those are things that I enjoy about the game so that it's not, you know, 100% about, oh, I must win this one day because sometimes it just doesn't happen. I think we can move on to talk about some of the uh, Phyrexia all-is-one spoilers I I've seen a lot of people discuss on Twitter. So I'm going to start with kind of potentially the most, most controversial one, which is Minor Misstep. Uh, it's one blue for an instant, uh, counter target spell with mana value one or less. I guess I'll start with my take. My my first take was like, this card is like borderline unplayable, at least. And I was thinking about that from kind of the Delver perspective, because I was like, okay, what card do I cut to fit this in? Basically, I think the options are basically Pyroblast, uh, maybe Force of Negation in the sideboard, maybe Counterbalance. Um, but Counterbalance is kind of just like a an insane card in the mirror and so i don't feel like this card is that good so that's kind of not that's kind of a different slot um force of negation is just one of the glue cards in the delver deck i think against some of the nonsense that is legacy now like you want to you know have something against turn one chalice or turn one reanimate so this card doesn't do anything there so i don't really think i, I want to replace my force of negations 
And then the last card is is Pyroblast. So comparing this card against Pyroblast, like this card is able to kind of stop um, certain things on the stack. Like uh, maybe there's some combo decks that this hits that Pyroblast doesn't hit. So maybe that's kind of even there. In terms of removal though, like Pyroblast is actually real removal, being able to kill like a Delver that's in play or a Murktide that's in play. Whereas if you hit this later, it's not as useful. I do see this as having, you know, some utility against control going later because they always have so many pyroblast swords of plowshares prismatic ending on one carpet of flowers like there are a lot of targets in that matchup but i just don't really see the appeal of this card in delver due to kind of costing one mana and not really being removal but then i think in in decks like control this might make a lot more sense to kind of play a split of like you know reb bev and minor misstep just to have like a variety of different answers to things so that's kind of where i landed is i think it could be pretty reasonable in control but i don't like it in delver I agree. I don't think it's playable in Delver. Um, I don't think it accomplishes anything that we're trying to accomplish, which is usually trading up on mana. We can compete with Ancient Tomb decks, even though they have so much more mana because our answers are so inexpensive. So at best, this card is trading for another one casting cost card or a zero. Um, so, and it's responsive. You know, it's an instant. Um, I don't I don't think it really fits into a Delver shell. I agree that it could fit into a deck that's already playing responsive instance, um, you know, like a control shell. When I first saw the card, I was like, oh, this is a weird card. I'm not sure uh, what to think of it. Like my first impression, I didn't know there would be so much discourse at first. I'm like, I'll see how it plays out. It, it might be interesting. Um, as far as Delver goes, it definitely looks like more of if if it, it it probably wouldn't be a main deck card. It would probably be a cyborg card. Um, I yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't probably cut Pyroblast for it. I actually think this this might be the best Pyroblast has ever been, just because like Murktide and Iteration just being huge hits, you know, uh, for Pyroblast. I could see maybe cyborg a couple though, maybe because. There's some matchups, like if you like look at the top of the meta, like you could side it in against elves, you could you could maybe side it in against painter, you know, you could maybe side it in against um, reanimator a little bit. Against control, it could be decent, you know, because it counters plow and ending and stuff, kind of like a dispel, fluster storm, spell pierce kind of a card. The first cards I would compare it to is cards like spell pierce. Um, which doesn't see play right now, but just because it's kind of like a one mana. Yeah, I could see maybe trimming counterbalance in the future, but I'm a huge, I really don't like counterbalance because it's hard to play with and it confuses me. And I have, <laughs> it, it makes my heart beat too fast because I, I hate when I, when they play one drop and I have to flip the top card and see if it's going to hit or not. So I don't know if that makes sense or not, but um, I could see it being reasonable because it's just like, it can help in some matchups. Like, um I don't know, like like fighting over some good key cards against like elves and control and 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 like just just like having a card that like one for ones when when you're trying to disrupt kind of your opponent's plan could be decent yeah i'm not sure but I, I just think what what's different now is just the cost of holding up one mana is so high um you know as we kind of discussed with some of what we talked about with the tempo and initiative but just that's the part that i can't get across is like holding up mana is no longer a thing like we're just playing you know forcing negations and and like proactive threats or at least if it's reactive like Pyroblast, it can be also you know used as an answer. So um, that's the part that I can't get over for, for this card in particular. But actually, I, I did want to talk a little bit about Counterbalance because I also don't like the card. Um, but that being said, like my my um, experience with the card has just varied wildly. Like typically, it's like when I play it, it just trades for a reb. But sometimes when my opponents play it, you know, either it does nothing and I just race them or it counters every spell I play and then I lose the game. I, I And I... There are some really good players, like, you know, Juju has won or done well at multiple showcases, and he consistently has two. Um, I think Isaac also usually plays two, so I just, I feel, like, slightly behind in the mirror if I don't play some, but at the same time, I'm not, like, truly convinced it's, like, the best thing ever. Dave, do you have any, any thoughts on counterbalance of, you know, how many you, you would like to play? Uh, I think one is right for me. I feel exactly the same way. Uh, I think that it is a bit of a skill test card in that if I'm extremely well-versed with it and I can plan around it and I can sculpt my ponders and brainstorms and I can think ahead to planning a mystic sanctuary to put the card I want on top, it can give an advantage. But it does require an extra dimension of thinking, at least for me, that didn't come immediate. And I definitely had some stumbles when I first started playing with it. And that is, you know, not the most fun. 
when you're making the game more complicated for yourself. Uh, but I do think there are those games where it's just objectively powerful and wins in a way that any other card would not have. Uh, like, if it's not for you, like, that's one thing that I've gotten out of the game more recently is just because somebody finished with it on, you know, Magic Online and it's, like, decided to be the best deck choice doesn't mean it's the best deck choice for me or individual cards within that deck maybe they're not best suited for my skill level or my play style whether counterbalance is the best card or not is up for debate but it's not necessarily the best card for everyone and it was not the best card for me for a while i really didn't feel comfortable with it but i got in enough reps to the point that i felt okay playing one yeah i i 100 agree with you like yeah magic is a game where it's so complicated that you know, even some of the best players will be making mistakes here and there. And so, yeah, fitting your play style 100% is is something to consider when, when putting the card in your deck. Personally, it's hard for me to set the card up because of the presence of Pyroblast in the mirror. So sometimes I'm just trying to, like, play it when they don't have a Pyroblast up. Um, and it's it's really hard for me to, like, um, find a spot where it's like, oh, you know, they, they wouldn't have had a Pyroblast. And then I can also set up a one drop on top. Um, that's, yeah, that's the other tricky thing. It's like, yeah, when you can play the counterbalance and they don't have power blast up and you can set a one drop on top, then, then yeah, it's smooth sailing. But it's, it seems like a lot of ifs to me that I haven't been able to like figure out quite how to do that just yet. I mean, yeah, I, there's a few things about counterbalance that are interesting. One thing probably most people have noticed, but Dragon Raid's channeler is pretty good with counterbalance. Because for a few years, there was basically nobody played Counterbalance since the top was banned. It's seeing a bit more play recently, and I do think it probably has to do with the synergy of Counterbalance and top. Like, even if you go turn one Dragon Rage, turn two Counterbalance, you can try and set up a one drop and, and throughout the game. That's that's one aspect of it. I also think another aspect is usually Delver plays a non-creature threat in its sideboard. You know, like a Winter Orb or Sylvan Library or a Sulfuric Vortex. And recently, um, due to Prismatic Ending... Most of those got worse. The Delver decks now, it actually doesn't really have a non-creature threat that even has a, has some sort of protection like True Name because all the creatures you can kind of point a, point a removal spell at, Murktide, Delver. So it gives you a nice non-creature threat. Obviously, Iteration, you know, is kind of like that a little bit, but it's still, it's more of a divination. So, so Counterbalance, it can be kind of nice to have some non-creature threats in your sideboard, especially if you're playing some grindy games. And yeah, the fact that it's it's nice with um, Dragon Rage are, are some uh, appealing uh, things about it, I would say. Okay, cool. I'll go on to the next card. Uh, Capricious Hellraiser. Three red, red, red. So six mana, but it costs three less if you have nine or more cards in your graveyard. It's a 4-4 flying dragon. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, exile three cards at random from your graveyard, and then you can choose a non-creature, non-land card and copy it without paying its mana cost. I thought this was actually kind of interesting. I guess it doesn't really fit now because Murktide is probably just a more consistent card, but if Murktide were ever to go, I would be somewhat interested in trying this just because it kind of, you know, it, get, it gets around Red Elemental Blast, it's a decent sized threat and card advantage, and I think, you know, having nine cards in your graveyard isn't um, the biggest ask, but maybe it's a little bit. I might need to work, wait for a couple other cards to go before this card sees much play. But I thought it was interesting. It definitely can be awkward with with counter spell. I mean, it's definitely a powerful card, but uh, it can feel pretty bad if I'm understanding it right. Like if you just add, you know, if you hit hit a counter spell, like it doesn't do anything. Oh yeah, you know what? So maybe I actually. I was thinking, like, yeah, when you play, you know, once you have nine cards in your graveyard, probably you'll have, like, you know, maybe five or six non-creature, non-land spells you can hit. But then of those, some of them might be, like, a Daze or a Force or even, like, you know, a Pyroblast or something, and it wouldn't really work. So I didn't... That's a good point. Let me move on to the next one, which I actually think is interesting for Legacy, which is Atraxa Grand Unifier. Three green, white, blue, black. So seven mana for a 7-7 Angel with Flying Vigilance, Death Touch, Lifelink. Okay, so the body by itself is, like, pretty strong. The Vigilance plus Lifelink and Flying means you're probably racing pretty much any deck out there. ETB, reveal the top 10 cards of your library. For each card type, you may put a card type from among those revealed cards into your hand. So I'm just kind of thinking about this in, like, Sneak and Show and Reanimator. Like, in Reanimator, you have, like, some enchantments, you have instants, sorceries... Uh, lands creatures like you can all hit so i feel like you can probably draw like three to like six cards with this somewhat consistently and so that makes it kind of interesting to me i guess 
Unfortunately, it is a legend, so it doesn't get around Caracas. But I actually think that this could be an interesting supplemental spell to Grizzlebrand. But I don't know. What do you guys think? It's definitely powerful. Yeah, it's just such a high bar. I play a little bit of Reanimator. To to get a new creature in there sometimes can be tough, um, just because Grizzlebrand is just such a gold standard. When I see cards like this, I try and think, like, what is my most likely hit going to be? So, like, Reanimator, I don't think really plays any artifacts. Is it really advantageous to get another creature into your hand? You know, maybe. You know, you could pitch it to Grief or Unmask, I guess. An enchantment, you could get an Animate Dead. You know, an Instant, you could get an Entomb. Sorcerer, you could get a Reanimate. Yeah, I mean, it can put together, like, your next reanimation cycle you know you can get like a loot and reanimate you know in tomb you can kind of piece together your next creature so it could it could have some some legs there one creature i would compare it to is uh what's that card called it's like archon of cruelty the eight mana black one because that's a that's a new creature that it's, I, I see people play in reanimator it's kind of uh, competing with grizzlebrand sometimes so the yeah the first creature i would compare it to was if i was playing those decks is be like is, is this better than Archon of Cruelty or would I play a split? It definitely reads as really powerful to me because um, like Dave said, like it just re it can reset your next, make you ready to go again. And uh, like drawing, like just refilling your hand because if you spend a few cards to reanimate this and then it fills your hand back and it has a, has a really strong body. I mean, it's like a grizzle brand with Vigilance extremely strong and sometimes grizzlebrand might have to chump lock a murktide so it has best touch i i guess that, that won't come up <laughs> very often but but yeah so I, the way i would look at it is i, I would try and compare it to archon i can't tell from reading it it does look really good but it's also true that archon and grizzlebrand are are really good so i wouldn't be surprised if this sees play it's definitely one of the best creatures i've ever seen as a reanimation or, sh- or show and tell target in the ga- game like probably like top 15 top 10 maybe even top five are very very strong but if if you really want to add it in addition to archon and grizzlebrand i'm not i'm not sure but i wouldn't be surprised i think i would definitely try at least a couple copies to start and some sort of split i think the advantage of archon is it affects the board by making your opponent sacrifice a creature and by dodging caracas like and this card um doesn't necessarily do either well i guess the body is enough to probably affect the board dodging caracas i think is, is one of the the main reasons to play archon um, I guess plus the fact that it's not legendary, so you can you can well I guess no stacking them is probably <laughs> win more. But um, I definitely think this card has a spot. Like it almost seems like you know Grizzlebrand's the best creature. This could be Grizzlebrand five through eight potentially, um, and you could be a little bit less reliant on on Entomb. So I think that's an interesting aspect that's worth exploring. But um, yeah, I definitely think this is one of the like higher power level creatures. And then in Sneak and Show. Um, this is one of the few, you know, super powerful things you can put in that you can also pitch to Force of Will. So that adds a little bit more flexibility to that deck. Where that deck often loses is when it draws too many of its creatures. So I think this is interesting from that perspective um, as well. But I guess it's not very... Actually, no, it is It is still really good under Sneak Attack. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm into this card. I think Grizzlebrand decks will... You know, maybe this will be Grizzlebrand 5 through 8. That would be kind of the upside of this card. And then... Like the downside would be like still a high bar to cross and maybe it doesn't quite get there and maybe it's only a a singleton. But I think this card will definitely see play. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things about this card. I mean, the fact that it's so many colors is interesting because if there's like some sort of a combo deck that's playing like Force of Vigor or Solitude, you can pitch it to those cards. The fact, yeah, the fact you can pitch it to both colors. Like if somebody plays, you know, Blue-Black Reanimator is not very popular, but you know, the fact that you could pitch it to a Grief and a Force of Will is interesting. The fact you could get it off Green Sun might be interesting. I saw recently somebody was playing Hornet Queen. I think one of the the Magic Online Championship qualifiers, the winning decklist had a Hornet Queen. This seems like, you know, this this is this seems like it might be better than Hornet Queen. Um, you know, in, in a deck like that. Um, yeah, and show and tell very interesting. We'll see what the GPA and the show and tell players think, but this this does look uh, quite good to me. Do uh do we also want to touch on that it, this card is spoiling a new card type, Battle? I haven't seen any Battle cards yet. Have you guys? This is the first mention I've seen of it, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by it. Um, I, the one other thing I noted about this card is they, they didn't include Tribal. And apparently that's because Tribal has been phased out. They just don't make any Tribal cards anymore. Except, like, very rarely or in, like, special sets or something like that. But, yeah, I don't know what Battle is. It's been a while since they've introduced like a new card type right like the last one was it like planeswalker like it's been a really long time wait so if you hit a tribal card with this you don't even get to get it no you do 
So the reminder text is just reminder text. It doesn't affect how the rules work. But for some reason, they, they were like, we're not making any more tribal cards, therefore we're not going to include it on reminder text. I was going to say, that would be weird because Tarmogoyf grows from tribal, so it would be like a weird distinction of card types, but that makes sense. Yeah, I'm interested. Like, I wonder what a battle card would be. Would it be like you pit two creatures against each other? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm slightly intrigued it by sounds, that. Yeah, it sounds kind of... Is this... A saga is not a card type. It's just an enchantment. It kind of sounds a bit like a saga... I mean, I heard some people were saying like kind of like a world enchantment, but that's, you know, already been done. But when, when I hear battle, it kind of reminds me of a saga, like a card that goes through steps, like phase one of the battle, phase two. But I guess that's just a saga. I mean, we'll see. It's it's hard to tell, but it, it sounds a bit saga-y to me. I think that'd be interesting design space where if they like create some sort of mini game within the game and if you win the battle, you get a reward. Yeah, kind of like a dungeon or a saga where they do those like multi-fade, like you do this and you do that. That would be my guess if I, but I, I have no idea. Yeah, I, I'm excited to kind of see what it is because yeah, it's been a really long time since they introduced a new card type, so it could be interesting. Um, But cool, I think um that's most of the cards I wanted to talk about um i think we can probably wrap it up here dave do you have any kind of last shout outs or anything you want to call out yeah actually just a quick mention of a conversation i had on monday night with phil blackman with force of phil um and he said this was okay to to share this tech i'm interested to hear what you guys think about reverent mantra as a mirror breaker for white initiative it's been quite a while since this card was printed, so I don't know if you happen to be familiar with it. No, can you uh, can you read yeah. it? It's it's a pitch card. It's three colorless and a white instant. All creatures gain protection from the color of your choice until end of turn, and you can pitch another white card to make it free. So it serves two functions. One is that it just counters whatever swords or uh, solitude or palace jailer or touch they try and do to your creature and then when you're ready for like a blitz attack to kill them it just makes your creatures unblockable that is very interesting actually i i've never seen this card before and i almost forgot about the mercadian masks pitch cycle it's it's probably that was probably the worst of the free card cycles and by the way we don't need any more of those so hopefully wizards tones it down with modern horizons 3 but this one's interesting go ahead daniel yeah it's hard to tell at first glance so i would compare to the other Mirror Breakers. I know some people in Legacy have been playing that pro-white creature, but I would say, so I've played, I've been playing Vintage Initiative a little bit. I've really enjoyed Stoneforge Mystic for the mirrors. It might be, it might sound weird to say that it might be better in Vintage because of all the artifact mana, because you have so many Moxes and, and Soul Rings and Mana Crypts. But I found that, uh, yeah, I've really liked Stoneforge in the mirror because if you play it, you have, you can get Cauldra or Batter Skull. So like Cauldra is like the very aggressive option. You play it and it's like, if they don't kill the Stoneforge, it's like pretty hard for them to beat a Cauldra. I mean, they can like, you know, plow or solitude it, but it, it like demands a removal spell. And if you take Batter Skull, I found that, I don't know if it's faster paced in Legacy than the Vintage Mirrors, but I tend to find I have a lot of time to re-equip the Batter Skull in the mirror. And, and so I found Stoneforge to be really good. So if I was looking at this card, I would be, I would think, is this better than Stoneforge? Try and maybe test the two or compare the two. One thing is this card can be, it won't, it can be like, it won't work unless you already have a board position. So for example, if you're like mulliganing a hand and you have an opening hand and you have like, don't have a creature, that's like a place Stoneforge could be better, but this could be better in a, um, in, in a position where you, you're limited by the amount of stuff you can do with your mana. But yeah, so that's what I would say. I would compare it to Stoneforge, but nobody plays play stoneforge and legacy it's it's been really good for me in vintage though so i think the issue in legacy is it doesn't fit well with cavern of souls like you could still play it um but it also doesn't necessarily fit well with your your lands either because you're usually trying to you know mulligan to a saw land um and then that actually makes me like now that i think about this card more like a lot of games i'm not going to have an extra white card to pitch to this so i don't think it really makes sense for for legacy because there's just so many games where you, you mulligan down low, you have one one threat, and then maybe you might... I think I'm more likely to have like one or two mana to, to hold up for an ephemerate or a touch than to have an extra white card that I don't mind pitching. Because there's also other out, pitch outlets like Solitude already that kind of demand your attention. But it's definitely interesting. I wouldn't rule it out completely. But you know for the reasons I listed, I'm a little bit skeptical that it would be like the next best thing. Yeah, I, I think it would specifically be... A possibility in the Amiria's Call Chrome Mox version where you have those four extra white cards that are just planes if they get stuck in your hand. But yeah, I thought it was just an interesting card. Phil brought it up and he's he's always brewing. Um, I love that there's like a 25-year-old card that, you know, kind of comes out of obscurity. 
Yeah, I thought I'd just mention it. So yeah, thanks everybody for listening. I guess we will see you all next time. And definitely thanks to Dave for kind of joining us. Definitely learned a lot. Uh, And again, congrats on your big win.